Luke chapter 15. All right, here's the deal. So for, for all of you guests, we're going through a series called Ears to Hear, Listening to the Stories of Jesus. Luke chapter 15 is, is a chapter that's gonna give us three different parables, but all three of these parables are related. And chapter 14, at the very end of it, at the very end it says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And so this is, this is, this is it. This is like one of the key phrases that Jesus repeats that's the reason we named this sermon series what we named it. We all have ears. If you don't have ears, then, then that is considered not normal. We have ears. Now, some people may sign language, and, and so I get it. I'm not criticizing that, but I'm saying to you, most of us have ears on the side of our head, but I'm not sure we all hear what the text is actually saying to us. If you're as thick-headed as I am and as stubborn as I am, it takes time for the word to sink in. And so today, my challenge to you is let's listen to what the text is saying to us. So Luke chapter 15, we're gonna read this as we go through it. And so let me give you some highlights here. This chapter goes all together. There is no way I can cover this entire chapter in this session. So for those of you that are guests visiting, you're just gonna have to watch the next sermon online if you wanna figure out the end of it. I've kind of chopped it up into two different sections so that it works but you really don't understand fully Luke chapter 15 until you have studied all of it. You have to put it together. So it begins there in verse one, verse two. You've got your Bibles out, you've got your notes out, you've got your devices out, you're looking at it because we're gonna walk through the text. It begins in verse one and verse two where it says that there were tax collectors and sinners who were gathering to come hear Jesus. These tax collectors and sinners were coming. That's one audience. But then it also says that there were Pharisees and these Pharisees were looking at Jesus and they were saying, this guy's got a problem because he's not supposed to be hanging out with people like that. And yet he's even eating with these Pharisees and these tax collectors and so are the tax collectors and the sinners. And so the Pharisees were criticizing Jesus saying something's not right here. So there's two audiences in this text that there's gonna be three parables focused to two different audiences. Now that's really hard to cover with one main idea parables that have double meanings to two different audiences. So today we're going to focus on this very first part of what you see there in Luke 15 chapter one on the tax collectors and the sinners who were drawing near to hear him. So he who has ears, let him hear. They were drawing near to hear. Next time when we go through this, we'll just go through the second half of it and we'll look at the Pharisees and the scribes who were grumbling. They were complaining this man even eats with sinners. That's a problem for them. So we'll talk more about that. All right, so here we go. What's the main idea of this particular sermon and of this particular text? The main idea of the text is that heaven rejoices when sinners repent. So you've got your, you've got your word out. Let, let me focus you in on a few things to show you how this chapter fits together. Look first at verse seven. Verse seven tells you, just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. So that's in the first parable. Now look down to verse 10. The angels of God over one sinner of repent has joy. And then look down, if you continue looking down at verse 24, you see it says, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. And then they begin to celebrate. Celebrate there is to have joy. And then in verse 32, it says, it was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and he is found. 
And so here throughout this parable, at the end of the parable of the lost sheep is to rejoice over a sinner that repents. At the end of the parable of the lost coin is to rejoice over a sinner who repents. When you get to the parable of the prodigal son, as we talk about it, it's really two sons. As you talk about the loving father, it's, he changed his mind. He repented. And so they celebrated because he was lost and now he's found. And so because he was lost and he's found, that's repentance. That's that salvation language. And so here we see over and over again in this text, heaven rejoices when sinners repent. So right now, off the cuff, right out of the gate, you should be thinking in your mind, do I rejoice when sinners repent? Because if heaven rejoices, if the angel rejoices, if Jesus is telling the story because we should all rejoice, am I rejoicing when sinners repent? Or do I look on with this skeptical eye, I'm not so sure about them, you don't know what they did. Well, that attitude kind of betrays us to think we, it's like we're thinking we're better than them and that we don't need to repent just as badly as they do because they do something we don't do. But all of us are broken, all of us are sinful, all of us are rebels, all of us need Jesus, all of us need to repent. Key words you're gonna see in this text over and over. Lost and found, rejoice and celebrate, and repentance. Two audiences today, we focus on the first. Here's your outline. The lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And we're probably not gonna be able to do justice to that last portion. We're not even gonna talk about the older brother yet. But next time, that's where we're gonna spend the majority of our time, is looking at the older brother. We'll save that for later. So we look first at our first point. Our first point is the lost sheep. Let me read the parable of the lost sheep to you. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribe grumbled, saying, this man eats with sinners and receives them. Verse three, so he told them a parable. Okay, what's a parable? Remember, we've talked about this. It's a story that is tossed alongside that's gonna teach you a truth. Sometimes a parable has one main idea. Sometimes a parable could have different, couple of different ideas and you look at that in context, but not every aspect of a parable is supposed to have some element of truth. If you go too far, you run off the rails and you get a problem. So Jesus is looking at this context. We've set it up, there's two audiences and he's gonna throw a story right alongside them in order to teach them a spiritual truth. So this is the parable he told them in verse four. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together all of his friends and his neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 persons who needed no repentance. The lost sheep. Let's walk through this quickly. Jesus told him a parable. If you have 100 sheep, What's the big deal? A hundred sheep, that's not a huge flock. That's not a small flock. Your average flock was probably about 300 sheep in this day and time. So you've got a hundred sheep. You have a hundred sheep, you've lost one of them. That's a problem, right? You could just say, eh, he's probably eaten. I don't care. I'm not going after it. I'm gonna stay with the 99 because that's not a bad percent. If I make 99 on a test, I'm pretty happy with that. At least most of you are. There's a few of you in the room that would complain for that extra 1%, but that's most of you. How many of you would complain for that 1%? You, God bless you for admitting that you would complain for that 1%. And you probably got a 4.0 mug too, right? All right. 
don't even know why I went there. If you lost 1%, you leave the 99 in the field. Now understand, in the field was the safe place to leave them. It's where they left them typically. In my mind, I'm thinking, why do you leave them in the field? They're dumb sheep. You're gonna lose more because you left the 99 than you after the one, but apparently this is what they do. So they went after the one, and it says he went after the one that was lost until he finds it. So there's this search going on. So in the day now that we have of cell phones and text messages and all this, there would have been a post on Instagram, lost a sheep, white, got wool, help me find it. Like, I mean, I don't know what you would have posted, but it would have been like, yeah, that's what you would have done. Texting all your friends, calling, hey, have you seen a sheep? Yeah, I see a bunch of them on the hill with you. No, 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 there's one more wandering around somewhere. He's gonna go out and he's gonna search. I gotta find this. Hey, I lost one of my earbuds. I need somebody to help me find it. What color is it? It's white. Okay, I'll be on the lookout. Searching diligently everywhere because those things cost way too much money and you gotta find it because this is important. So here he's gonna search till he finds it. And then he finds it. Oh, he's happy. Says he laid it on his shoulders. Now he'd been searching, maybe he was tired, I don't know. He picks it up, he lays it on his shoulders, but he said he does so rejoicing. He's not mad that he had to search, he had to do all that work. It's on his shoulders and he's rejoicing and he's saying, I found the lost sheep. Who's Jesus talking to? Sinners, lost people, who act like lost people. And when he finds the lost people and he's able to bring them back to the Father, he's rejoicing. This is awesome. It won't last. I don't know if they really meant it. Do you know what they did last week? We'll come back to that. But look at the excitement that he has here. Rejoice with me, friends and neighbors, for I have found my sheep that was lost. And then verse seven, so I tell you, there's gonna be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 persons who need no repentance. A timeout. All right, wait a second, Luke. 99 people that need no repentance? What are you talking about here? We all know there's no one who does good, no, not one. There's not 99 people that don't need to repent. They all need to repent, but there may be 99 people who haven't recognized yet that they are sinners in need of a savior. There may be 99 people who have not recognized that they have rebelled against their king and that they need to be forgiven of a debt that they can't pay. And so heaven is gonna rejoice over that one person that has recognized there's a debt that they need to pay and they can't pay it, but Jesus paid it for them. And by grace, through faith in Christ alone, for God's glory alone, I can repent of my sins and put my faith and trust in Christ and be clothed in his righteousness so God sees him and no longer sees my sinfulness so that I can be redeemed, accepted, a child of the king, brought back into the fold. Heaven's gonna rejoice over that one. That's what's happening here. It's a lost sheep. So he moves on to a lost coin. Lost coin, verse eight. The first, guy, the first one is addressed to what man of you? This one's to address to what woman of you? Having 10 silver coins. If she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me for I have found the coin that I'd lost. Just so I tell you, there's joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So let's walk through this. You have one woman who loses a 
coin. She has 10 silver coins and loses one of them. Now, some of the commentators, when they're talking about this, will say that this was like a wedding dowry or something, that it could have been a headband that had 10 coins in it and one of the coins is out. It could have been a necklace that would have had 10 coins. We don't know that that's the case. It could have just been a person who only had 10 coins and they lost one of the coins and this was a valuable coin. This was something that meant something to them. And so they lost the coin Inside of the house, you don't have a lot of outside light. You're gonna light a light. We might get a flashlight. We're gonna make sure that we're looking to see what it is. And then it says you sweep the house and you look and seek diligently until you find it. When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me for I found the coin that I lost. How many of you have ever lost something that you have searched diligently for? Imagine with me, if you will, Scenario where somebody loses a wedding ring. It's the girl, not the guy. Because a guy's wedding rings are relatively cheap and they're gold and you're gonna replace them a lot easier than you can a diamond wedding ring. You lose the wedding ring because you were out in the ocean and the waves knocked you down and the ring came off and it's somewhere there. What do you do immediately? You lose the wedding ring in a pool and it floats to the bottom, what do you do immediately? Stop. Nobody move. I've lost something. Let's search for it. And all of a sudden, everybody begins to search for this thing that's important. A stone falls out of a ring. Stop. Look. Do you see it? I don't know why, but we always get down to see if we can see it. <laughs> Do you see it? You're searching diligently for it. The most recent example of this in my life was a GoPro camera on a scuba diving trip. It was on my arm, it was a strap. A guy had wanted me to do it, he had let me borrow it. It's his camera, it's not mine. These things are not cheap. He says, here, video. I'm like, no, 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 I don't really want a video. I don't like to borrow stuff. Things, bad things happen. When, no, 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 I insist. It's okay, it doesn't matter. If you lose it, it's not a big deal. Here, put it on your wrist and let's go. And then you put these things on called a BCD, which inflates and you're scuba diving with it. So coming up out of the water, great video. Taking the vest off to get in the boat, slide the arm through, slide it off, and the vest catches the camera. And when I pull my arm out, and hand the vest up to the guy and he puts it into the boat and I climb in the boat and I look at the strap that's on my wrist. There's no camera attached. What do we do? Go back in. There's a camera down there somewhere. This is the ocean, dude. <laughs> 60 feet deep. You can't just go back in and pop down. That's bad for your health. You don't get certified if you do stuff like that. Or you might be certifiable, but you don't get certified if you do stuff like that. And so we look and it's gone. All week, we're feeling bad about this. End of the week, our, our dive instructor, our dive guide, his name is Mackie. Mackie comes up to me and he says, I thought he was giving me crack or something. I didn't know what was going on. He's like, <laughs> look what I got. Right? <laughs> Rolexes on New York City streets, if you don't know what I was after. <laughs> All right, fake Rolexes on New York City streets. Here you go. 
Mac asked the dive camera, did you buy that at the store? No, I found it. It landed in one of the things in the bottom of the ocean. I don't know how long he searched for it. I don't know how much time he spent down there, but boy, did he earn a nice tip when he handed me that. I mean, that he had to search diligently. And when he found it, do you know what I did? And who cares? No, I didn't. I saw it and there was a smile on my face because this belonged to the pro-life doc that spoke here in chapel, William Lyle. So this was his camera. And so I was able to take the camera and say to Dr. Lyle, we got the camera back and we got the footage on the camera and let's ingest this and see what it looks like and create a video. And there was excitement. And this is what we're seeing here. You understand it. You've experienced it at some point. You've lost something and you found it. And then look at what verse 10 says. Just so I tell you now. Okay, time out. Remember, hermeneutic rules, when things are repeated, they're important. This is not just hermeneutic rules. This is faculty rules. When your faculty member repeats something over and over and it's in the notes, you underline that and star it. And, and the young lady over here that was worried about 99 and 100 is nodding yes. So that means all the rest of us need to listen, all right? Because you star it and you highlight it and you underline it and you say, this is important. It's gonna be on the test. And I want 100, not a 99. So star it, underline it, highlight it, write it down in your notes. Pay attention to what Jesus is doing here because he's repeating it. Verse seven, more joy in heaven over one sinner that repents. Verse 10, just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. You get it? Is it sinking in yet? Do we have ears to hear? We're not the judge. We don't get to be skeptical. We should be joyous when one sinner repents. Do you get it in the room? Are you that sinner? Are you that lost sheep? Are you that lost person? Are you the one that has never recognized your sin and realized that you need what Jesus has given you? Oh, well, here it comes. Let's go to the next parable, the lost son. Now, next time we'll talk about the two sons because there are two sons. Today, we focus on the one. We focus on the first. We focus on the younger. In verse 11, he said, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, I'm just gonna kind of walk us through this. He said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. Do you know what he's saying here? The younger son would get one third of the property. The older son would get two thirds of the property when the father died. So the younger son is basically going up his to his dad and he's saying, hey pops, I don't want you around anymore. Would you just die and give me what is mine? Now, how many of you have ever said that to your parents? Okay, good, we don't need to talk later, so it's, it's good. You should not say that to your parents. He says, give me the property that's mine. Here's what he's saying. He's saying to the father, Father, I would rather have your stuff than to have a relationship with you. So how many of us have ever looked at our heavenly father and said, I would rather have the stuff than the relationship with you. I would rather have the ring by spring than to do what's right and have the relationship with the father that ultimately satisfies. I would rather have the career that's gonna pay me a whole bunch of money and get me a lot of nice stuff than to have the relationship with the father that ultimately satisfies. 
I would rather be a professional athlete than have the relationship with the Father that satisfies. I would rather have whatever it is that puts in your idol box that you tend to want and that you crave and that you're asking God to provide for you. I don't really want the relationship with you, God. I just want a genie and a bottle that I can rub and get my three wishes for, and I want the stuff. I don't want the relationship. Well, if you're in the room and you think for even a moment, you know, that might be me. I want the stuff, but I don't want the relationship. That's the prodigal son. Dad, I I don't want you around. Just die and give me the stuff. Now look what happens in this crazy text. So he divided his property between them. Now we could sit here for hours and wonder, what in the world would the dad divide the property for? He's still alive. He's still going on. So why did he divide it? He divided it because Jesus is telling a story and Jesus wanted him to divide it because he was telling the story this way. I mean, that's the reason he divided it. It's because this is important to Jesus' story. So don't spend too much time worried about it. He divided it. Verse 13, not many days later, so pretty quickly, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. Now, what did he have? What was the stuff you would have gotten from the father? I'm gonna give you some of my flocks. I'm gonna give you some of my land. The property was really important at this point in time. So how do you gather property and go into a far country? You sell it. How do you get maximum value for something? It's not selling it in a hurry. That's not the way you do it. And so What's happening here is you see the picture that's being painted of a son that's irrational, a son that is longing after the wrong things. Father, I I just want you to dead. I don't want a relationship. I don't want to spend time with you. Here's all the stuff. I don't even want the stuff. I didn't want this stuff to begin with. I just want the money. Give me the cash. Cash is king. I want all of it. Give me all the Bitcoin you can get because I want to take it and go somewhere else, right? So sell all the property off cheap. Get rid of all these flocks. I'm taking all this money and I'm going to party. So look at what he does. He journeys to a far country. I'm getting out of here. I don't want to be around mom and dad. I don't want to be anywhere near mom and dad. I don't want anything to do with mom and dad. You ever run from God like that? God, I'm just sick of you. I'm going to go do my own thing. Okay, let's see what that looks like. It says he went to a far country and he squandered his property in reckless living. He took all of his cash, he partied. We don't know what he did. He squandered it in reckless living. And then verse 14, and when he had spent everything, so he's out now, he took one third, cashed it all in, he spent it all, it's gone. We could do some lessons in business and accounting and finance on that, but we won't. We'll skip that for today. We'll let your faculty members deal with that. And then a second disaster happens in verse 14 where a severe famine arises in the country so that now he's in need. He spent everything, probably providing stuff, probably blowing money on parties, probably enjoying it all, living it up really high. He spends it all, it's all gone. And then at the same time that it's all gone, this famine hits. So there's a severe famine in the land and he was in need. None of his friends provided him anything, by the way. Those friends that you think you have when you're paying for everything and you're providing everything are not true, real friends because once you stop giving them stuff, all of a sudden they've disappeared and they wanna have nothing to do with you. Those are not your genuine friends. Your genuine friends are gonna be there for you in a time of need and in a time where you have heartache and you can't provide everything for them. So it says in verse 15, he went out and he hired himself out to one of the citizens in the field in that country and he sent him into the field to feed pigs. Now this, in this audience... Feeding pigs, an unclean animal, hiring yourself out because you have no money. This is the bottom. 
And then it says he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. Get the image here. He's done all this stuff. He spent it all loosely and wildly. And then all of a sudden he has absolutely nothing and the, the, the food the pigs eat. I'm not a pig farmer. I don't know a whole lot about feeding pigs, but I'm pretty sure I don't eat the stuff that the pigs eat. But he was so hungry and so destitute, even that looked good to him. I tried to think of an analogy. I can't think of one. What's the dirtiest, nastiest place that comes to mind? That's where you're working. And why you're there? Okay, let me try. You go to a road trip. Some of you guys, y'all went on a road trip to California during spring break or Colorado or somewhere. You go on a road trip. You're road tripping and, and you gotta go. And you go by this truck stop that's got this one little outhouse that's got the key on the really big block of wood so that you can't take it with you. You ever seen those keys? Like the key is like, it's a concealed weapon except you can't conceal it. Like you could harm people with this key and you open up this bathroom to see that it hasn't been cleaned this decade. You smell it before you open the door. You look inside and you think, I'm not sure I need to go anymore. You get to a point so destitute that you go inside that convenience store and you tell the person behind the counter, hey man, will you pay me if I clean the bathroom? You're so destitute, the thought of being able to eat some of the convenience store food that's three years past its expiration date actually sounds like a good idea to you because that's where you have landed. Now, now time out. As somebody that cares about the students on this campus, let me say to you, this is where sin takes you. The devil promises you all this great stuff. Oh, the Lord won't let me do this, but I just wanna do this. Why does the Lord keep me from doing this? Or your parents keep me from doing this? I just wanna lie a little bit. I just wanna cut a corner and cheat a little bit. I just wanna steal a little bit. I just wanna get a little bit of stuff. It's not a big deal. But that journey and that destination, when it gets you to the final location, is an absolute dead end that will destroy your life, that will take you to where you're looking at truck stop restroom bathrooms and thinking, this is a good place. Are you crazy? This is where sin takes us. All right, so let me back up because that's a little too disgusting for me. Let me put it into another. You're working in the dish pit at Chuck's. <laughs> which is a great job, by the way, and everybody ought to have to do it once because if you work in the dish pit for four years at Chuck's, you will value that degree and that job you get afterwards like you have never valued anything in your life for the rest of your, that hard work, oh, it's great. Everybody should go do it. We should make that mandatory. Dr. Mack, mandatory in our curriculum. Everybody works in the dish pit at Chuck's. I like that idea. You're in the dish pit at Chuck's and you're so poor and destitute as a student that you look at the food you have scraped off of all of that into this big vat and you go, huh, that apple looks pretty good right there. Uh, that communicated better to you than a truck stop restroom? <laughs> Whatever. That's where sin takes you. So next time you're dumping, I was gonna say dumping your tray in Chuck's, but we haven't had trays in Chuck's in six years. Y'all don't even know what trays in Chuck's are. Next time you're dumping your food into the trash pit in Chuck's and you look down and you go, that's disgusting. I want you to think that's where sin's taking me. 
All right, so we gotta conclude. What happens? We're coming back to this, by the way, and focusing on the elder brother. So verse 17, this is repentance. He came to his senses. What happens in repentance? You change your mind. He at first thought he wanted his father dead and he just wanted his stuff. Now he realizes in verse 17 that he came to himself, he changed his mind, and he said, look, even my father's hired servants have enough bread, I'm perishing here with hunger. Ah, here's what I'll do. I will arise and go to my father and I will say, Father, I have sinned against who? Okay, let's fill in that word. Father, I have sinned against? Let's do better. Father, I have sinned against? You're not sinning against other people. You're sinning against God when you sin and God already knows about your sin and you can't hide your sin from God so you're not getting away with it. You're already caught in it and you are rejecting the God who loves you and here he's come to his senses and he says, now I'm gonna go back and tell my father I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm not even worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So he arose and he came and he went to his father. Think about where he was. This is a story, I get it, but put yourself in the story. His heart's beating fast. I'm gonna go to dad. What's dad gonna do? Is dad gonna beat me? Is dad gonna ground me? What's dad gonna do? I just, I just wanna be a hired servant. I don't even wanna be somebody who's in the house. I just wanna be somebody he pays and he gives a little bread to and maybe I can pay off some of the debt that I owe. How is he gonna respond? How is your heavenly father gonna respond? Would you repent of your sin that you're hiding right now and come back to him? How is your heavenly father gonna respond when you go wayward and say, I need to come back to the Lord? I need to get back to where I wanna be? This is how your heavenly father's gonna respond. A long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And he ran. This is not 2022. I run so I can eat Chick-fil-A milkshakes. Old people don't run in this day and time. They're too dignified for that. Running is disgracing yourself. And so he's hiking up his, his garment. I wanna call it his dress, but it's not a dress. He's hiking up his garment and he is running out of compassion to go meet his son. He ran and what did he do? There's been no repentance yet. He embraced him. He gave his boy a big hug. He embraced him and it says he kissed him. The son's heart so relieved. He's not smiting me. He's not destroying me. He's not killing the prodigal son instead of the fatted calf. He's hugging me. Because the father truly loved him all along. The father said, well, the first the son said in verse 21, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. This is his rehearsed speech, exact same words. I'm no longer to be worthy to call your son. You know what the father does? Yeah, 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 whatever. I don't even wanna hear the rest of your repentance. I'm not holding this over you. Before he even gets through his entire speech, the father says to his servant, hey, hey, bring the best robe. Who had the best robe? The father. Bring my robe. You know, this is almost like when a sinner repents and confesses their sin before a holy and righteous God and God says, give them the best robe. And that robe is the righteousness of Jesus Christ imputed onto us so that we then are seen by God as though we are inside of Christ and we are clothed in his righteousness so God no longer sees our filthiness of feeding pigs and wanting pig food, but instead he sees the righteousness of Christ as we are a son before the Father. Bring the best robe. Put it on him. 
Bring a ring because there's authority. He's a son. He's not a slave. He's not a hired servant. Put the ring on his hand. You know what? He no longer had shoes on his feet. I don't know what happened to your shoes, son. I gave you a third of everything we own, which is a lot, and you don't even have shoes anymore. I don't care what happened. Put shoes on the kid's feet. This is my son. And then he says, bring the fatted calf, the one that they had been planning for a great celebration, and kill it. And let's eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. A couple of points of application for us to think about. We'll pick this story back up. We'll walk through the son, the first son, a little quickly next time, and then we'll focus on the second son. This application focusing more on the first son. Oh, student, will you consider the final destination of sin? I see it, it happens. You go through your thousand days at Cedarville. You're in an environment where you have chapel and you have authentic Christian community. You've heard all the things and maybe you've even checked all the boxes. You read your Bible because we say no Bible, no breakfast. You went to class because you had to to graduate, but you never developed a true affection for the Father. We don't read our Bible so we can check a box. We read our Bible to learn about the Father. We don't pray so we can check a box. We pray so that we can have communion with the Father. We don't teach a Bible minor so that you'll be smarter. We teach a Bible minor so that our affections will be changed away from this world and our affections will be set on the Father that loves us. If you're still walking through all of these box checks and yet all you really want is the stuff the Father can give you, but you don't want a relationship with the Father, you need to come to your senses and run to the Father and say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. That final destination of sin is the truck stop bathroom. It's the dish pit. It's the pigs and their slop. What does the devil promise you? Oh, Adam and Eve, look at this apple. This will make you wise like God. It'll give you everything you want. What does he deliver? This day you will surely die. What does God promise you? Every good gift comes from the Father who's above. What does God deliver to you? Every good gift comes from the Father above. True joy, true peace, true happiness, true fellowship, true acceptance, and heaven awaiting. So student, prospective student, parent who's in the room, somebody who's watching online, you don't know what I've done. It's not about the size of your sin. Get over yourself because you can't out the grace of God. It's about the depths of his grace. Come back to Jesus. Last thought for you is that our God is a seeking God. He told these stories on purpose. It's not accidental. He's God. He knows everything. He knows what he's doing. He knew, inspired by the Holy Spirit, Luke would write these in chapter 15. By the way, there's no chapter division. So here comes right before the parables and the audience contest. Have ears to hear. Well, there are people listening and hearing, and what they're hearing is that there's a shepherd that wants to go after the one sheep, and that there is a woman who wants to go after the one coin, and that there is a father who is standing there ready to welcome the son who is coming from a far land. And that same God is here seeking you today to offer you fellowship with him. Dear God, 
Would you work in all of our lives to help us to take great joy in any sinner that repents? Would you help us not to have skepticism in our hearts? Dear God, would you help us to be quick to repent, to change our minds, to confess our sin before you, to run back to the Father? God, would you help us to be on mission with you, seeking after others and whatever our field may be, that we would be on mission with you, seeking the lost, restoring them to a relationship with their Father. For your glory and your name's sake. Amen. And you are dismissed.